Aloha, I'm Lynn Kawana with the other side of paradise. Alexander Silvert, or Ali, is joining me for episode three to discuss the case that made him a household name, the Kealoha's mailbox. The impact of this little mailbox case has been dramatic and is going to possibly be even more dramatic and profound in the future. It's well known the corrupt ex-police chief and his wife, a former deputy prosecutor, staged a crime to frame a relative. But what we don't know a lot about is how Ali was able to uncover all that and his struggle to convince others. Ali represented the relative, Gerard Puana, when he was being prosecuted for stealing the Kealoha's mailbox in 2013. For years, you know, even among defense attorneys, my, my fellow colleagues, no one believed us. You know, the, the, we were talked about like we were just showboating or we were just the typical, you know, defense attorneys throwing mud on good, honest police officers, even among defense attorneys. So I know there were many, many people who just didn't take it seriously. Ali had to first convince the feds that the Kealohas framed his client. Not an easy task for a public defender. Let's talk about that meeting with the FBI and the federal prosecutors because you're on opposite sides usually, right? This couldn't have gone well with them, especially not at the beginning. We weren't sure if they were going to be receptive. I mean, they were the prosecutors. They brought the charge in the first place. Uh, They didn't seem to open it during the trial and up to the trial to hearing an alternative point of view. The meeting went sort of okay. There were some difficulties in the beginning and there were some difficulties. (laughs) Difficulties like what? (laughs) Like they weren't interested? (laughs) uh, They were interested, but our view of the evidence was very different from the view that they had. And and it was very different from a view that they've held, held for two years. So for them to look at the evidence a little differently and to see that perhaps they were misled, which is really what the focus of our evidence to them was, is not that they had done anything wrong, but they had been intentionally misled by HPD and by the KLOs. And to show them that evidence and how it broke down, uh, at first I think they were very resistant, but as you know, we kept showing them more and more of the pieces of evidence, you know, particularly the fact that they lied about the make and value of the mailbox, which the U.S. attorneys did not even know about. So that caught them, I think, very much off guard. And that, I think, kind of broke the ice into them being more willing to listen. The Kealohas lied about their mailbox, reporting a more expensive one was stolen so the charges against Ali's client, Gerard Puana, would move from a misdemeanor to a felony. When we realized that they had lied about such a simple fact of the make and model of the mailbox, and we have a client telling us he's been framed, uh, that began to pique our interest because that didn't make any sense. And then as we started dissecting the police reports that we had received and realizing that every single one of them was false or omitted critical evidence, then it really began to blossom. Add to that, Louis Kealoha, who was still the police chief at the time, lied on the stand 
on day one of the 2014 mailbox trial. Ali believed the chief did that on purpose because he knew the defense team had uncovered the evidence that would exonerate Gerard Puana. The mistrial added ammunition to Ali's claims that his client was set up for a crime he didn't commit. When you left that meeting, you were convinced that the FBI had switched sides and thought the police chief and highest or high-ranking deputy prosecutor actually framed your clients. You know, we thought we had been pretty persuasive and the evidence we had uncovered was pretty persuasive. And uh, I certainly got that feeling. Convincing the feds to turn on the Kealohas was a huge victory. Next, he had to convince the community that the Kealohas, a beloved power couple, was capable of crimes. After all, Gerard Puana didn't have a good public relations campaign. At that point, the only news that had come out was really very adverse to Gerard, uh, was very damaging to his credibility and his reputation. And we decided that it was time to begin to flip the narrative about what was really going on here and turn it from a focus on Gerard to a focus on the Kealohas. Momentum followed when people learned why the Kealohas set him up. He was suing in civil court because Catherine Kealoha, his niece, had stolen nearly half a million dollars from his mother, Florence Puana, who was then in her 90s. Originally, when he kind of mentioned this to me, um, you know, we were listening to it and we understood there was a civil lawsuit between Florence and Gerard against Catherine. But, you know, in a criminal case, there's very narrow sets of evidence that's admissible. And at first, you know, yeah, there's a civil case out there. What does that have to do with anything? You know, we didn't pay it a lot of attention. Uh, but as we investigated the case and spoke to Florence Puana and Gerard Puana, it became more evident what that this was a serious issue and a serious problem for Catherine. You know, if Catherine was found liable in that civil case, which was set to go to trial prior to the criminal case, uh, if she had been found liable, she could lose her job, she could lose her law license, her reputation in the community would be destroyed. Then we had some concrete evidence of that, you know, concrete proof that that's what Catherine really thought might happen and why, you know, it wasn't just us speculating anymore. It was when we got that concrete proof that this is really what Catherine was thinking, that we realized, okay, we have a motive and we can prove the motive. There are so many people who doubted you for so long. Uh, that moment of gloating when the indictment came down. L lawyers do love that, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was very satisfying that it, that, they were indicted in the manner that they were and that it and the way you know mr wheat wrote the indictment it's, it's called a talking indictment where he really walks you through all the evidence which they don't normally have to do an indictment so to see it come out like that so you could actually walk through everything they did uh was very satisfying to us um but most importantly remember i'm still representing gerard kawana and florence who you know lost her home her family home and so to a great deal, well, it was satisfying to me. I was very happy for them because this was really gratifying to the Puana family and especially to Gerard and Florence yeah. uh, that everything they had said, and remember, they lost the civil trial. Right. They went to trial in the civil case. They testified 
Catherine Kalo had got on the stand and lied throughout her entire testimony, but she was believed. Not only was she believed, and the jury ruled in favor of Catherine Kailoa and against the Puanas, the jury found monetary damages against the Puanas for defamation against Catherine and awarded her $600,000. So they had been through the ringer. I mean, their credibility had been uh, pretty much destroyed. They had not been believed by anyone. And then to have this indictment come out where the FBI and Mr. Weed is saying, we believe you. You were framed. Catherine Kailoa and Louis Kailoa aren't telling the truth. To them, it was a very big moment, and I was very happy about that. Two years later, in 2019, after about nine hours of deliberating, a jury found the Kailohas and two other police officers guilty of conspiracy and obstruction of justice. Vindication for the Puanas and for Ali, whose investigation into a bizarre case of a stolen mailbox triggered the fall of one of Hawaii's most powerful law enforcement couples. Would you say you were impressed by the FBI and Michael Wheat then what they took with that evidence? Because I know there were times, Ali, where you were saying, why is this taking so long, right, before we got indictments on the Kealohas and the other officers? I was just very frustrated and as frustrated as many members of the public were on how long this was taking. You know, if you think about it, June of 2013 is the mailbox theft. December of 2014 is the mistrial. We turned the evidence over to the U.S. attorneys and to the FBI by January, February of 2015. The Taylors aren't indicted, I believe, January of 2018. And the trial for them is June of 2019. So it took a long, long time. But in speaking to Mr. Wheat, and I've gotten to know him pretty well over the years, he's a very serious prosecutor. And as he said to me in the beginning, you know, if you go after one of your own, and remember, he's a prosecutor, so he works with HPD, he works with police officers, he works with all these folks on a daily basis. They're his investigators, they're his agents. He said, if you're going to go after one of your own, you have to cross your T's and dot your I's and leave nothing to chance. And that's what he did. And he's very methodical. He's very careful. It's frustrating to those of us on the outside who are just waiting and thinking, you know, that the evidence is all there. But he has to develop his evidence. Uh, so I give him and the FBI a lot of credit because a lot of the information that came out at trial was certainly based upon what we had given them. But they took it and went further. For example, they went and got all the text messages and all the emails between the people who they believed were involved. That's something that I didn't have the resource to do and we had never done. They discovered that. And that was to the jury in the KLOA case, critical evidence because it linked these people to talking to each other and communicating each other at very critical times of the cover-up and the frame-up. Uh, that was all evidence that was new to us. We didn't have that. Um, so they were very meticulous and they were very careful. And I think they did a tremendous job uh, in getting to the evidence. I mean, you have to remember when we went to trial, you know, we thought he was framed and we certainly thought Catherine Kailoa was in on it and, and the chief, but we really didn't know who else was in on it. And we didn't have to prove that or discover that. That's something the FBI and Mr. Wheat did. They're the ones who uncovered who these people were, who was working together and charged them and got them convicted. 
Florence Puana lived to be 100 years old. She was able to see her son, Gerard, vindicated, but for her, it wasn't a celebration because her granddaughter still betrayed her and the family. Florence had seven children. They had lots of grandchildren. She couldn't even keep count of how many grandchildren she had. And if she was the matriarch and Catherine was the star and she trusted Catherine and she did a reverse mortgage and Catherine ripped her off of every penny of her ad, which resulted in the loss of the only inheritance that the Puana kids were going to get, which was the family home that Florence and her husband built together. And even after all of that, all Florence cared about was understanding why and wanting an apology. She really wasn't concerned about getting a conviction or putting people in jail. I know that Gerard had that feeling that he felt because, I mean, that guy, Gerard, went to jail. He served time in jail. He was arrested in, in his church in front of his girlfriend. Um, he faced the very real possibility of conviction and of doing further jail time for a crime he didn't commit. So he's coming from a different place. But Florence really just wanted an apology more so than a conviction. Florence never got that apology. She died before sentencing when Catherine finally said she was sorry. Ali says no case in his long career had such an impact on him and the community. And it all started because of a mailbox. That first trial accusing his client of stealing one in 2013. When I was told to go and cover a mailbox trial. I wasn't exactly thrilled. You know, I thought I'd been in the business for 20 plus years and won a lot of awards. And why am I going to go cover a theft of a mailbox? Did you feel that same way when you got this case? You've handled some of the biggest drug dealers and murderers, and, and then you got the theft of a mailbox. So for me, it's a little different because as a lawyer, we get a lot of drug cases, bank robbery cases, you know, scam cases. We do them a lot all the time in my business. So after at that point in my life, I had been already a public defender and doing these cases for 25 years. And I was looking for something different, you know, anything to pique my interest and to change, you know, to, to learn something new. And so when this case came in, we'd never, ever had a mailbox case come into federal court. Um, and so when it came in, and initially, I didn't even know that involved the KLOAs. I don't work in the state court, so I don't even really know much about them or who they are. But when it just came in, it was just a mailbox, you know, a stolen mailbox. And I was told that there was a video capturing my client stealing the mailbox. So to me, this was, uh, once I learned it was the KLOs, I just thought, okay, this is going to be a tough sentencing case because obviously he's guilty, but we're going to have to fight this out at sentencing because you have some very famous and influential people, and I don't want this guy getting railroaded through the system. But I really just saw it as an interesting case with a really big fight at sentencing at first. Um, so that piqued my interest. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't look at it as just a small mailbox case. It was kind of interesting to me. And then, of course, now um, that is really what you're known for, right? I mean, Ali, that's that's you're you've got twenty twenty seven twenty nine years in the business, and w would you say that's what you're known for? Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've actually I retired uh, October of last year, uh, over thirty three years being a public defender in Philadelphia and Hawaii. 
Um, I've done some very high publicity cases. Um, I did the Delilah Williams case, which was a death penalty case. Um, I've done, the, I did the first three strikes case with uh, Mr. Kaluna, who, uh, who robbed banks. Um, I've done some very interesting and high profile cases, but you know, obviously this is what I'm gonna be known for. I worked on the case for more than seven years. Uh, it's gotten obviously the most press, and, and I do think it is the most important case. Ali Silbert is now writing a book about all the twists and turns of the case. He's not finished with it just yet. I've been working on this book for more than a year. Um, so we're close. I have an agent and an editor who, and he believes that we can finish this book by the end of this month. Uh, I think that's a little optimistic, but I'm hopeful. And then he will uh, fi hopefully find a publisher and we're hoping for a release date of the book end of summer, beginning of fall. And he may eventually have a sequel, as the same team of federal prosecutors, led by Michael Wheat, has found even more alleged corruption while digging in on the mailbox investigation. The impact of this case has been profound, not only on the KLOAs and HPD and CIU and what happened for them, but remember, this case is not over. Mr. Wheat is here, is still going in front of the grand jury. There are still target letters that were issued to Donna Leong, the head of, you know, court counsel, target letter to Keith Conishero, who used to be the prosecutor, and several other people. And those cases are going forward. There's no doubt in my mind we're going to see indictments in the relatively new near future. And I always have to chuckle when I say that because it took so long to get the KLOs indicted. <laughs> but in the near future, I expect indictments are going to come out and you know these are very influential high-level people in city government what happens if they cooperate and start talking about things that they know about in, in city government i mean the impact of this little mailbox case from 2013 has been dramatic and is going to possibly be even more dramatic and profound in the future The mailbox has become the Pandora's box of public corruption in Hawaii. Mahalo for listening. I'm Lynn Kawano.